0: Uh, we are going to wrap up our series with, of James, and thinking of James, it, it caused me to think about this, you know, there's all these how-to books. Have you guys ever seen them? Uh, how to one-on-one dummies, dummies one-on-one, or how to cook, or any, there's all these how-to books. You go to YouTube, if you want to know how to change oil, this is what my son did now. A little disclaimer, he didn't quite get all of it. But he went to YouTube to learn how to change the oil on his motorcycle. And it pretty much, he had his little phone right there and it walked him through it. So there's all these how-to guides. And one of my favorite is this one. The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Let me just give you a few of the titles in here. How to Escape from Quicksand. How to Escape from a Sinking Car how to survive a poisonous snake attack, how to escape from a bear, how to wrestle free from an alligator, how to win a sword fight, how to jump into a building, from a building into a dumpster, because you're always on a building needing to jump into a dumpster. There you go. It does say worst case, but it kind of talks about it as if... This happens in life. So there were a couple ones that I I particularly found interesting. One is, this could happen more frequently. One is how to jump from a bridge or cliff into a river. When attempting a high fall over 20 feet into water in an emergency situation, you will not know much about your surroundings, specifically the depth of the water. This makes jumping particularly dangerous. It gives a few more instructions. And then it goes, all right, here's the how to. Number one." Jump feet first. Number two, keep your body completely vertical. (laughs) Number three, squeeze your feet together. My personal favorite. Number four, enter the water feet first and clench your buttocks together. (laughs) If you don't, water may rush in and cause severe internal damage. Protect other sensitive areas by your hands, and immediately after you hit the water, spread your arms and legs wide and move them back and forth because you don't know how deep it is, and if you stay in this eternal vertical, you're going to go to the bottom. Alright, so that's one of them. The other one that I found quite interesting is how to survive if your parachute sails to open. Here you go. Are you ready? Because this is how your mind's going to be working. Number one. As soon as you realize that your chute is bad, signal to a jumping companion whose chute has not yet opened that you are having a malfunction. Wave your arms and point to your chute. Then, because you're going to be in your best mind, you're going to go, when your companion and new best friend gets to you, hook arms. Once you are hooked together, the two of you will still be falling at terminal velocity, which is about 130 miles an hour. So you're really going to be able to think well for this next step. When your friend opens his shoe, there will be no way either of you will be able to hold on to one another because the G-force will triple or quadruple your body weight. So to prepare for this, mind you, while you're far- falling 130 miles an hour, you will need to hook your arms into their chest strap or through the two sides of the front of their harness because that's going to be easy to do as you're falling 130 miles an hour. <laughs> Once that has happened, open the chute the chute opening shock will be severe, probably enough to dislocate or break your arms. But you're not, you will still be hopefully holding on as your companion is now holding one arm around you and is going to be steering the canopy of the chute to try to get you to land. Oh, by the way, avoid power lines on your way down. Now, if your friend's canopy is slow and big, You may hit the grass or dirt slowly enough to only break your leg. (laughs) However, if this canopy is a fast one, you will probably break multiple bones (laughs) if you survive at all. And finally, if there is a body of water nearby, head for that. All right, because we just learned get into the vertical and then you go down. is once you hit the water, you will have to tread with just your legs because your arm is broken from the dislocation. (laughs) And hope that your partner is in his right mind and gets your shoot off of you before it fills with water and drowns you. (laughs) So just a couple little survival tips in a worst case scenario. Now, why did I share that? Well, I share that because often, James is related and and thought of as a practical guide to Christian living, all right? So it's not quite the worst-case scenario. James is a little easier to follow, but it is a guide on how to do life. So just a quick recap of James before we jump into chapter 5. Remember, James is writing to Jewish believers, okay? And he's trying to call them to wake up from the dead faith of Judaism. Which was a works-based, you just follow the rules, you just follow what you're supposed to do, and oh, because you believe that you are of the tribe of Abraham, and Abraham is your father, you're good. All right. So that's, James is trying to say, wait a minute, you've got to do more than believe. For James, true faith is belief in action. It's the message message of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, which is, the kingdom of God is here, but there's a new way to live. So that's kind of the overarching message of James. Now, in chapter 1, we, talk, we learn that your faith grows when it is tested. Right? So James talks about different trials and tribulations. and he talks about even counting it as joy when this happens because your faith is going to grow. He also talks about being a doer of the Word. And, and as I said up there before, James is all about faith and action. He wants us to be doing Not because that is going to save us, but because that is how we know we have true faith. When Jesus works through us by being obedient and doing things. So that's chapter one. Chapter two, no partiality. Faith shows no partiality. That's when we talk about rich or poor. We treat them all the same. Sarah talked about that. How do you go into school and maybe you treat somebody one way and another person another? Faith, true faith doesn't do that. Okay. Faith without action is dead. We've already talked about that, but James reiterates it in chapter two. Chapter three, Joe talked about taming our tongue, and how faith is shown in our words. Or a lack of faith is shown often in our the way we don't control our tongue. Okay. Chapter 4, Michelle last week talked about humility and how it takes humility to decide: are we going to submit ourselves to what God says and God's way is best are we going to be caught up in what the world says or maybe what we want to do so that was chapter 4 so now we're into chapter 5 which is faith is shown in prayer now he starts off chapter 5 with a warning to the rich and I'm just going to summarize that because here's the one thing I want us to remember what James is talking about here is not that wealth Is bad. And that rich people are bad. Because it's very easy. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Now, you read that and you go, wow. Rich people are... I don't want to be rich. And I don't want to be around rich people. And oh, by the way, rich people probably aren't good. No. That is not what James is saying. What James is getting on are rich people who were not being faithful They were not treating people. They were not living keenly. They were withholding wages. They were mistreating people. And also, they were trusting in their wealth. That is what James is talking about. He's not talking about wealthy people who are kingdom livers. Because, in fact, the Bible is full of people who God has blessed with riches because they are kingdom livers. So remember that, friends. Don't read that and think rich people have no place to all right, the second part is he gets on in, the, in chapter, verses 7 through 12, he talks about patience in suffering, okay? Because he knows that Jesus is coming back, but until then, it's going to be difficult. He talked about it in chapter 1, he talked about your faith is going to be tested, all right? You're going to have trials. So that next section, James is calling you, be patient, and he gives these examples of farmers and the prophets, and even talks about Job, who was patient in his suffering. But in the end, you hear the steadfastness of Job, and and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So they, James doesn't just leave us with, "Okay, be patient, friends. Hope it works out for you." He reminds us that God is compassionate and full of mercy. All right. So that is the next section, and the final section is what I want to talk a little bit about tonight, and that is the prayer of faith. So, I'm going to read this passage. I don't know if Dan, you can pull it up yeah, perfect. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call to the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins he will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed for the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain for and the earth bore its fruit. When I was preparing for this, I'm going to have to do the double thing here, because when I look out there, you guys are going to <laughs> um, I was reading through this passage, and actually I thought about talking about patience and suffering. That was kind of the original um, part of the scripture that I was going to teach on. And then I read that again. I read that, and I read about Elijah, and all of a sudden that just struck me. Struck me that of all the things he could mention, he mentions Elijah, and how not only does he mention it, but he makes a very important point to say something. He just did, First of all, you have to remember back then everybody knew about all the Jewish people who he was writing to knew about Elijah. They knew all the stories of Elijah. Elijah was really kind of the the poster boy for faithfulness. But when he describes this to them, he says Elijah he uses this term, has a nature like ours. Because what what James was trying to say is, friends, it isn't about Elijah as this super person that has kind of legend has now grown him into this amazing supernatural person. No. What he wants us to know is when we pray with faith, like Elijah had, then the God who answered those prayers who James, or who Elijah had faith in that is who James wanting us to remember. So he doesn't want us to see Elijah as this person anything different than we are. He's a nature, his nature is just like ours. But, he prays in faith. And then, when he prays in faith, the supernatural God who acts can do things like keeping it rainy for three Plus years. And then, when God's purposes have been served, He prays again and the rain comes. Now, what I want us to know about this before we move on is the fact that, and, and this is important because we can read that and think, okay, if I just have faith, then whatever I am praying about that is my will, God will answer. Don't forget that Elijah. Was praying that the rain would be held, be withheld, because the king of Israel was a wicked king, and he didn't honor God. And so God's glory was not being shown through the nation of Israel, and that is why he prayed. He prayed according to God's purposes, and so I want us to think about having uh, faith enough to pray that way, but also having faith enough that God's answer according to His will is the best answer for us. That's what gets hard sometimes. Because we have a lot of things we're worried about, good things, someone who is ill, and we want them to be better. But we have to remember when we pray with faith to God, we pray that he is going to answer according to his will.
1: The interesting thing to me about James, as
0: we wrap this up, is his whole message to us is about action. But last week, Michelle told us about uh, James. For James, prayer was action. I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, prayer doesn't feel like action. I I often feel like maybe I'm just taking the back seat. And a lot of the time I go, well, God, you already know the prayer. So I'm not even really you read my mind. You know my thoughts. You know. You know what's needed in the situation, so I can kind of look at prayer as just sort of a passive thing. But for James, prayer is action. In fact, it's the most important action. It was told that you know I don't. I, I told you guys when we first started this that James didn't follow Jesus during his lifetime. He wasn't a disciple, and in fact. James and his other siblings were trying to... They weren't sure what Jesus was up to. And Scripture tells us that they tried to stop him from his ministry. But Scripture also tells us that Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection. And that changed everything for James. And then James spent the rest of his life trying to get the message of Jesus of this new way of living the kingdom. And he was so affected, they made him head of the church in Jerusalem. And the Jewish leaders eventually, who were still pretty much in control of Israel at that time, eventually got a hold of him and took him up on the top of the mountain, the cliff, and said, You will recount from Jesus, and you will say that you do not believe in him. And James says, I won't. And they threw him off the cliff. <coughs> And then he landed, and he didn't die right away, but as he was lying there, he he said, Jesus, forgive them, but they do not know what they do. Someone took pity on him and clubbed him and put him out of his misery, and he died. And when they were gathering his body, they noticed that his knees were worn out like a canvas. Michelle shared this last week, because he was on his knees, because prayer was him. faith was prayer and action. I don't know where you guys are. Where do you need to pray for more faith? Some of you may need prayer to help you have faith that doing what is right and not following the crowd of your friends is going to be best for you. Even if you fear that doing that leave you alone. So if your friends are making fun of somebody and you know it's not right and you don't do it, do you have faith that that's best? Or does the fear of being left out of the crowd keep you from doing that? Some of you need prayer for faith to believe you have worth and are love for who God says you are and not by what others say about you. How they treat you. Some of you need faith to pray that way, believe that way. Some of you need to pray that what the Bible teaches is true and able to help guide you. Like we talked about this book of James is such a guide to Christian living. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that even when the world around you, everything you're learning in school, even when people you love and trust. tell you that the Bible is not totally true, that you can't trust everything in there. Some of you need faith to step in on it and trust the Bible. Some of you are skeptical and don't even know how to pray. You're kind of like, sort of tired of this whole faith thing. So how do you even enter into that? Well, I want to encourage you. In Scripture, Jesus encountered a young man who said, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus answered you in those prayers. So I don't know where you are tonight. Um, in a minute, we're going to break up and spend some time praying, but I want to wrap up before we do. Um, what's your takeaway from the book of James? How's it going to encourage you and challenge you? I don't know if you remember back at the very beginning when I talked about jump school. I talked about how in jump school, I didn't have to just put on a parachute and jump out of the airplane. I went to jump school, and I learned how to land. And I learned, they put me up, and we dropped out of about 100 feet, the chute opened up, and I got to learn to trust that chute opened up. So I got to study that and believe it. Then we went and looked at the parachute and we examined it and we watched them test it. Well, you guys, many of you are like that. You've been here. You've heard these things. You've had them modeled for you. You've actually tested some of it. You've listened. But you're not quite sure about your faith. Just as I wasn't sure and there was no way for me to be sure that I had faith in that parachute open. So I got on that plane. And when the time came, and the guy that was leading us said, stand up, hook up, stand in the door. And I had one thing to do. I still, even at that point, didn't know that I really believe have faith in that person. It only happened to me. Then I knew I had faith. There's no other way for me to know. I could think about it. I could. I could have lots of information, but until I stood out and jumped out of that plane, I didn't know. The same is for all of us in our faith. James talks about it in chapter one. Our faith grows when we step out. When we stand up, hook up. Shuffle to the door. Stand in that door and jump. Are you guys ready to do that? Did James, and the word that the Lord has for us in James, get you ready to do?